Hi, I'm Chesney in Aarhus, Denmark. And I'm Weldon in Nyi-sur-Seine, France. And you're listening to... American on the Outside. So, Chesney, what are we doing here? What What is this show for and what's it about? Well, um, for starters, it's a really kind of a big day for us because we're going to launch the show in its entirety as it was conceived right. way back <laughs> in 2016. Um, back then, uh, I obviously, we began to see some pretty scary developments back in the U.S. And I was really struggling to come to terms with those developments. Right. Um, I was having conversations with Americans who were equally as disturbed <laughs> and frightened um, about what it, we all saw happening. Um, I was also having conversations with, um, I was in Germany at the time, so with Germans, um, mm-hmm. They were also very kind of, what is happening? Uh, I was also listening to a lot of podcasts as a way to occupy my brain while doing the mindless tasks of everyday life. Um, So (laughs) I kept having this idea about a podcast, and I thought it would be a really great way to help help Americans, myself included, process the transformation that was happening in our country. I held on to this idea for a while because, honestly, I have no idea, or had no idea at the time about how to make a podcast. It's not my skill set. So I was really afraid to put it out into the universe. Um, But the further we got into 2016, the more nervous I got about things. And after I emerged from the PTSD that was the election (laughs) night of 2016, I just really kept feeling this sense of urgency to get this thing started and to put it out into the world. And that has really only increased <laughs> over time. I also knew that I wanted a co-host. I knew that I wanted to have conversations about current events and cultural differences and similarities and eccentricities. And I wanted to talk with a friend who was well-read and well-traveled. Obviously, I know I know you from way, way back. We grew up together. Mm-hmm. And you have always been somebody who has been able to break down information in very understandable and engaging ways. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I just thought it would be an amazing experience to go through this process with you it also does not hurt at all that you have way more technical knowledge (laughs) than i do about all things 
technological. So, yeah, so this is a podcast about Americans living outside the United States and what it feels like to watch your country transform from an outside perspective, from something that's really familiar and home to Mm -hmm. something that really isn't. But it's also still home. And, yeah, that's the podcast (laughs) in a nutshell. Who do you want to reach with this? Who do you imagine yourself talking to? I imagine myself talking to other Americans who might be feeling like they're alone out That they don't have anyone to talk to. There's the Mm -hmm. internet, of course, or they probably have other things. But in a world where it feels like sometimes you're afraid to lose the people around you mm-hmm. by expressing your own thoughts and like your opinions and your fears you get sometimes you get a lot of blowback from friends and family members about sure oh you're being hyperbolic it's not that bad right. you don't live here you don't know but i can't not see or unsee the things that i have seen in the last five years and I can't ignore the sense of dread that I have. Yeah. And I also can't not do something to make that better, whether Mm -hmm. that's like trying to tell people's stories and share their perspectives and, and make sure that they feel that people feel connected Mm -hmm. to home but also that they're not alone in in how they're feeling right now what do you hope to get out of it i i got to buy a new microphone which i thought was incentive enough i guess i'm intrigued at the idea of home uh, what it means to different people and that's something i hope to explore I grew up moving around a lot. You know, we didn't meet till ninth grade. We had both kind of moved to the town we finished high school in fairly recently before that. And as an adult, I've always moved around, even within the U.S. And now that I'm married to a diplomat, (laughs) it's the life we move every two to three years. And so when people ask me where I'm from, that's... I can either say Mississippi or I can go into a 16-page autobiography. And and I'd like to hear other people's answers and find new ways of looking at what home means to someone who has a kind of rootless existence. Yeah. So how many people are we talking about? I know you told me once, but I, I forgot. How many Americans are on the outside? State Department, and you might know better than I, but the State Department estimates around 9 million Americans live outside of the United States. Okay. Now, that's that includes service members, but... Diplomats, about nine mil- diplomats Peace Corps, members. USAID, yeah. but all missionaries, people for business, all students. Yeah. Okay. 
the whole shebang of nine million American citizens. That is like a not insignificant state. Right. That's yeah. That's yeah. It's like right in the middle of the pack for states. Hmm. So yeah, it's a, there's a lot of us and. It's exciting to hear them talk about their lives. I am very excited to hear about different parts of the country and what it's like growing up there. Sure, sure. So I'm, I'm excited to, to get this thing going. Uh, Absolutely. I, I know that we've been playing around with <laughs> this idea for a really long time. Um, obviously, life happens. Pandemics strike the globe. <laughs> You moved to Paris. I moved yeah. from Hamburg to Denmark. Um, there's a lot going on in our lives every day, uh, and and in fact, that ju- will just today we change. found out found out we are uh, moving to Colombo, Sri Lanka <gasps> next year. Wow! So that's very that's, exciting. Wow, that is an an official an official like announcement. Yes, that's that's amazing. I'm I know very little about. Sri Lanka. So I'm really excited to learn through through you Same. about your experiences there. And I, I also it'll be interesting because right now we're both in Europe. Uh, and mm. that's, I think that's a lot of people when they think the template expat is someone in Europe. Yes. But there are Americans uh, all over the globe. Yeah. Uh, in Asia and yes. Latin America and Africa. So the, the, the ability to meet uh, uh, Americans that aren't just studying in Prague, to expand beyond just the, the European experience, I think it's, will be exactly. interesting. Yeah. Today is a big day because we are finally going to publish <laughs> an interview with an actual American living on the outside. Very excited um, about this. Yes. Uh, Weldon, you brought you brought this this lady to us. So yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about her? So this is our interview with Gwen, who lives in Biggleswade, England. And I did check; she's not joking. That is an actual town, <laughs> uh, and she is from Mississippi, but a different town than than we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I can let her speak for herself about the rest, but. We recorded this uh, on a very <laughs> kind of, on a unique day, uh, if I recall correctly. Um, it was it was the day after the twenty twenty election, general election. Right. So it was the we were all waiting to see what would happen. Right. The the outcome was still it was looking favorable for Biden, but the outcome was still very much. Everyone was was mm. walking on eggshells and 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 putting on their lucky socks and I mean it was it was a very tense moment in terms of uh, being nervous and <laughs> you know yeah yeah I, I think that was the day that I looked at my phone and I realized for the first time in four years I was hope scrolling. Instead of oh. doom scrolling, uh, that they, yeah. it was sort of a turning point, like right then. And I have not really. Well, that's not true. I've doom scrolled less. <laughs> um, since then, 
It's been really something to come from that time period where you would wake up in the morning, every morning. Damage report number one. Yeah, yeah. like what what happened while I was asleep? Exactly. <laughs> what happened? Um, to like, I can have my coffee before I take on whatever information is out there. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's just been really, it's been really, it's been nice. Things are not... I mean, there's always work to do, even under the best of circumstances. Mm. We're always going to have work as as a as a society, as a community, as a global power. Um, there will always be work to do on many many levels. Mm-hmm. But it was, it's been really great to not have this just overwhelming dark cloud hanging over you every morning and to not have to run into people on the street and tell and and have them ask you questions about like what is happening with your country right now yeah uh, the or cab drivers were were big about that here and i know uh, we get into that with gwen in this mm. in this interview so yeah so yeah today is the first of november this was recorded last November and um, it will be released on Wednesday. So yeah, tomorrow is election day. Let's see what happens. All right. So did uh, anybody sleep last night? Um, an hour and a half. Oh yeah, and uh, I had heavily medicated Benadryl dreams of uh, Bojo taking over England and America and actively <laughs> protesting in front of the White House. So that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, twenty or the White Wall. Yeah, yeah or the yeah, White Wall. Or the White Wall. Oh my God, That's so awful. Um, so this it's is awful. a special election day uh, interview. Uh, with uh, our friend Gwen Robinson, who is in Big- Biggleswade. Biggleswade, and it's Gwen Robinson Jones now. Oh, sorry, so, Gwen Robinson yeah. Jones, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gwen, uh, where are you from? So, I grew up in a little town called Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um, but I grew up in Mississippi with Yankee parents. And um, so, I. I don't know if I'm really from anywhere. I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. So um, I'm from America. We'll say that. Were you Were you born in Vicksburg or? No, I was born. I was actually born in D.C. and we lived in Chicago till I was five. And then my dad moved. Uh, his job took him to Vicksburg for the Corps of Engineers. He's their historian. So oh. um, yeah. So, that is very, anything that very happened cool. on the river, yeah, was was written by him in the eighties and nineties. So, how big was your family growing up? Um, I have two brothers and two sisters, so I grew up in a Mormon household, and we never thought it was that big until I got out to the wide, wide world. And I was like, wow, there are a lot of people in this house. <laughs> so, so there are five kids and a mom and a dad growing up, it, and eventually and a dog and a rabbit. And where do you fall in that in the in the in the in the order of I am of the second oldest, so I'm the oldest girl, which means I never had a weekend off of babysitting from the time I was about twelve. So oh, no. yeah, 
<laughs> so does that mean you love or, you know, tolerate children? <laughs> well, I have four of my own, so it depends on the day. Wow. <laughs> well, having three of my own, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, I love them. Do I tolerate them? Sometimes. So. <laughs> are schools yeah. running where you are right now? Yeah, that's the weird thing that's going on right now is we're going to have lockdown starting tomorrow. And, but they're still sending kids to schools, which I don't get. And the teachers' unions are up in arms about. And uh, But for now, the kids are going. I have actually have one home today because her bubble um, has a kid with COVID. And so the whole bubble got sent home uh. for two weeks. So she's quite happy about it. But, <laughs> but it's fine. Yeah. You know, they're doing their best, I guess. And we're just kind of supporting whatever the rules say. So. Tell us a little bit about growing up in, in Vicksburg. Like, you know, what, what do you remember about it? You know, Vicksburg is a really weird town because it has, um, I mean, it's got all the history of the Civil War there. So there's like statues of dead guys everywhere, um, which is why I always kind of had a weird feeling when, when people were talking about taking down statues of Confederate soldiers because we have the military park there. And so mm -hmm. I have kind of a different perspective of it. You know, there's like a historical park there that's just about the Civil War because the Battle of Vicksburg was so huge. Um, mm -hmm. But also you have the headquarters of the Corps of Engineers and Waterways Experiment Station there. So you have a really strong, educated population there, which mm -hmm. I think is a little bit unique for um, outside of college towns for Mississippi. So lots of people with PhDs. It was I just kind of assumed everybody's dad had a PhD growing up, <laughs> middle class Mississippi. So, so yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you grew up, you grew up inside the Mormon community in in Vicksburg. I did, which um, always made me a bit of a pariah. Like I was never invited to sleepovers growing up, and I didn't know why until one of my friends told me that Mormons grow horns in a tail at midnight, and I was like, "Oh, oh my all right. god, <laughs> I wouldn't want me there either." So <laughs> it was, yeah, it was always it, being Mormon always kind of put a different spin on things because there's a lot of um, propaganda for and against the Mormon Church, um, especially in, in Mississippi and like the movie The God Makers came out in the 80s. And so there's all this stuff out there about Mormons. Um, this was long, and, long uh, before I mean, the I've... musical and, uh, and all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was not tongue in cheek. It was like Mormons are, you know, servants of the devil kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, you know, if you ever came to Mormon church, you'd be so bored. It's not even as interesting as Baptist church. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really boring. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I've since I, I've left the church. I'm not there anymore. But I, my mom's family were actually Mormon pioneers that settled Utah. And so it is a big part of my history. Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot about it, probably more than a lot of people do. But it's, uh, it's, it's not something that I have carried with me into adulthood but a lot of the values of it i have like um, they have very strong family values and mm -hmm. um you know family is very important to me although the way they define family and the way i define family are very different so that's okay um but yeah so so it was uh, it was always one of those things where until my later years in high school i didn't drink i didn't smoke and i was very afraid of everything and also the the whole you know being a good girl make sure that you're not, you know, that you're, you know, don't get pregnant or ruin your body or even, you know, don't look at yourself in the mirror if you're naked getting out of the bath kind of a thing. So oh, wow. it was a, yeah, it puts a whole different level of guilt on things when you're growing up. So um, LDS is, uh, is anti-tattoo even, right? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. They're anti-everything. I mean, <laughs> is it fun? We don't do that. Oh, <laughs> they even have a thing about you shouldn't laugh too loudly. And I'm like, I do not fit here. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you, uh, did you have a favorite subject in school? I was the theater girl, which is actually where we met. And so, um, so yeah, I was all about, I was going to be a Broadway star when I grew up. I was all about theater, music. Um, I was always really good at math, but it, because I was so good at it, I found it boring. And so I didn't pursue it, which I regret in later life. But, huh. but you know, I was quite busy doing music theory and choir and, and any play I could get cast in. And I, I absolutely, I'm on the extrovert scale. I'm like a 99 out of 100. <laughs> So I'm like, anyone that wants to pay attention to me, yes, please. <laughs> so did you pursue theater in college or? I pursued a lot of things in college. <laughs> I was a very, I was one of those people that's like, I'm going to try every major. But uh, yeah, I, I initially went for music and theater and then realized um, a couple of things. One is I was very talented for Vicksburg, Mississippi, but getting out into a broader pool, you know, I was all right, but I was never going to have a career at it. And that, and I was okay with that. That was fine. Um, and then also I wanted, uh, and probably from my Mormon upbringing, I wanted to have a family. And I looked at, at I looked forward at, at the whole, um, you know, lifestyle of the people who do theater and they're traveling and things like that. And I was just like, that's not, that's not what I want. I want to have a stable home. I want to have some kids. I want to get married. I want to, you know, that those were always things that I wanted to do. Um, so I changed to, I mean, I changed to a lot. I was pre-med, I was pre-law, but I settled with psychology because um, that's where we all go when we're trying to figure ourselves out. So, and it sounds like a good so that's where I was. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So you graduated from college. Um, yeah. What was your very first adult job? My very first adult job was as a, well, I was taking a year off between bachelor's degree and grad school. I was living in Salt Lake City at the time. I finally graduated at the University of Utah. And um, I got a job as a teaching assistant in a special education classroom in a middle school with, uh, it was a self-contained classroom with kids who have behavior disorders, what they called emotional disturbance, although I don't like that term. So it would be kids, you know, ADHD, autism, traumatic brain injury and then also kind of like the naughtiest boys in the classroom that teachers didn't want to deal with got thrown into our classroom too um and i loved it those were just my my kids my gang and so i i then retrained i took i did a um a year-long course where i got a classroom and became a teacher at the same time um and taught as a special education teacher for nine years god bless wow. you and yeah i know god bless all the teachers um, oh, I love so, that. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, did you, were you still in Salt Lake City or did you move around? Oh, I've moved around a bit. So I started in Salt Lake City and then um, we moved to West Virginia for my husband's job and I taught there for a bit. And then the crash happened <laughs> and we mm -hmm. were one of the families who lost everything. And so we were looking for jobs in kind of both countries because my husband's British. I met my husband while I was an exchange student. Um, at the University of Derby in England and brought him over as a souvenir. It's my big joke. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so we, we were very lucky in the fact that we could apply in two countries. And, we, and honestly, I kind of saw the way, having lived in very conservative areas, I saw the way that America was heading pol politically. And, and I just, I wanted to leave 
I think it was probably more me that wanted to leave than Darren. Um, he, he very much liked being a British guy in America because everything he said was written on stone by God, you know, um, because of his <laughs> accent. So, right. um, you can uh, get away with a lot. Oh, my God. He once had somebody call up to his work and said, oh, is that British guy there? Is he is he seeing anybody? And they're like, well, he's married. And then the girl goes, well, is it serious? And they're like, um, well, they have to break up with lawyers, so I think so. <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, he very much loved, he, he very much loved the attention of that. But for our kids and for, and honestly, for the job prospects at the time, it was just better for us to come over here. So mm-hmm. we moved to England and, and I had four kids at the time. My twins were only 10 months old and we packed up and moved over in 15 suitcases. So it was interesting. You flew across the Atlantic with twin 10 month olds. Yeah. And a, and a four year old and a seven year old. So you can imagine the looks I got getting on that airplane. And I literally, like I was telling people around me, I'm like, we're moving. I wouldn't do this for a holiday. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I really, they actually were fine. They didn't cry. They were, they were used to traveling because my mom lived in Utah. And so we, we would fly from West Virginia to Utah to see her all the time. And, and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a fun trip. <laughs> right. Wow. Well, Me and my mom and four kids flew because Darren was already oh. here. So it was, it was something I wouldn't recommend, but I, the whole time I kept thinking this is going to be a great story one day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it is, I mean, yeah. So was the move to the UK the, your first time living abroad or outside of I your I had a semester. Okay. I had a semester, okay. but, but, but other than that, yeah, it was my first time living abroad and actually having to assimilate into a new culture permanently. Mm. Um, and I thought I was going to have the same experience that my husband did coming to America where people were going to be like, oh, you're American. And, oh, that's so cool. It is not the same. Um, <laughs> they do not think what we are written. We, I have to kind of people look at you very skeptically and there's certain things that like Americans, if you're not smiling, something's wrong. So you're always, you always got to have this pleasant look on your face. And in Britain, people are like, why are you smiling? What are you trying, like, what's happening here? <laughs> what are you, are you laughing at me? What's going on? And I guess as, uh, <laughs> <Just> my face. <laughs> as Southerners, we're kind of already used to our accents, distinguishing us in the rest of the U S and, and maybe, that Oh yeah. Is, uh, it's less of an experience to be noticed for your accent in the UK. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause I'd moved from Mississippi when I was 23. And so I had, you know, I very much trained myself out of my Southern accent. Cause I realized people didn't take me seriously if I was too, su- I mean, I was Southern when I moved. And uh, <laughs> so I, I became more like, you know, I used to say I'm fitting to go do that. And, <laughs> and so now I'm like, you know, I still say y'all and I still say fix and I still say certain things here and there. I still call a coke. A Coke as opposed to a soda. But, um, because it is a Coke. It's it not a, a Coke. Right? <laughs> yeah, it just depends on what kind of Coke do you want. <laughs> I've managed to get it's my all... wife to say used to could. So uh, there, there's oh, some. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. I have introduced um, Great Britain to the world of Tony Sastry's Cajun Spices. So <gasps> I feel like that's my contribution. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. I have three bottles of or cartons of it bottles cartons what is it i don't know canisters yeah, of it yeah. in the in the drawer right now <laughs> nice <laughs> so what would you say is the biggest difference 
between the UK and the US uh, if you had to pick one thing? You know, I, the one thing that I that I really found jarring is that people don't talk about politics here. And um, they um, big things are happening in the UK. I, I, you know, we've had the Scottish re- Scottish referendum since I've been here. We've had Brexit. We've had major policy things that are that are key, and people don't talk about it. It's rude. It's impolite. You don't bring up politics at the at the <gasps> table. And so when I do, I'll just kind of like broach it a little bit. And they're like, ooh, this is becoming a heated discussion. I'm like, is it? Like, <laughs> okay. You've clearly Y'all never been to my to... house at Thanksgiving. <laughs> know, right? You've clearly never been to American Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the, the, the very much like everything is very superficial in, in the bigger, now with my very close friends, with my husband's family and stuff, you know. I'll, I'll let loose a little bit. My husband's very political as well. And so he, he probably brings up more than I do anymore, but, but it really did surprise me because it's so like you, not only do you have to have an opinion as an American, but you have to be able to articulate it very well mm-hmm. and very quickly and very loudly, you know? So, um, and people here find that very, I thought it was, I thought they found it intimidating at first and that's not what it is. They just find it rude. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I know some Britons lately have complained about uh, what they're calling sort of an Americanization of UK politics. And it's getting more like yeah. the US with, with loud beating your chest, you know, uh, uh, disagreements about everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'd say that's true. I'd say certainly Trump's administration has made that trendy. Um, and so, as much as Brits don't like to admit that they follow trends in the States, they do. I'd say before 2016, it was not like that. But but after Trump, it became this, it, it's almost funny and it's like, it's quirky and it's, you know, oh, look, we can say funny sound bites too kind of a thing. I mean, um, it, it's so strange to think where the UK is, like, because Cameron was uh, PM, what, six years, five years ago? Like, it yeah, was... he was PM when we moved here. Yeah, and it's it's a different world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Has it really been five years? I think last yeah. like four years. Oh ago. my think, gosh! Yeah. Yeah, I think and it was, he, it was yeah, early he, 2016. He left it, but yeah, it would have been 2016. Cause he left when Brexit right went through. The, yeah. He was, yeah, his biggest mistake. Like, let's do Brexit. He's like, oh wait, really? Like, y'all, y'all really Brexit? <laughs> uh, and I, I was think just a big joking part about of the reason that. it went through. Well, yeah, and and the thing is, it wasn't the when it, the way it was marketed over here was that Brexit is the argument within the conservative party and so people in the labor party lived Dems, they just didn't really take it seriously and i think many people didn't vote because they didn't they never thought it would go through right like on the night farage was talking about well we'll have another election for we'll have another referendum in a few years yeah if this one fails yeah 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 because nobody nobody thought it would go through and so it's so people who nor people who i probably agree with more ideologically I, I know people who didn't vote because they're like oh it's never gonna go through you know there's just that voting doesn't matter it's never gonna go through it's raining today you know like it's just uh. <laughs> you know yeah and i'm like all right well there you go <laughs> so and and that and actually when brexit went through was the moment that i was like trump's gonna be president this is gonna happen and i yeah. did my best to campaign for hillary i can yeah but when I experienced that and what that looked like over here, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a big oh, wake-up call for, I think that was a big wake-up call for a lot of 
Americans living in Europe specifically, yeah. I think, obviously more so in the UK, but certainly for those of us just on the side of the pond, I think we all sat up a little bit and said, wait a minute, this is, mm -hmm. this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's do, nothing do you... better than a more divisive world, you know? Right. So. <laughs> do you find that Brits recognize how similar Boris Johnson and Donald Trump are? Yes and no. So they make comparisons a lot because of the hair and because of their quirkiness. But the one thing that I think is that people underestimate Boris Johnson because Trump is an idiot and, and he acts like an idiot, you know, but Boris Johnson is very smart and he knows how mm -hmm. to get things done. Uh, I, I completely disagree with almost everything that he does, but he he's like the whole messed up hair thing. He does that before he goes on stage because he knows that's his brand. Um, the whole waffling thing, the babbling thing. He's I, I see him as more evil genius than Trump. Right. Right. Evil. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think Americans may like uh, don't the Oxbridge accent he uses means something in the UK that, that maybe yeah. Americans don't hear, but you know, I mean, the man speaks four languages and blah, 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 but so did he not. Yeah. Well, so very well read, very, very influential and very good at um, kind of, I mean, in the, similarly to, to Donald Trump, from what I hear from people who are in the room with him, very good at getting you on side when mm. you're one-on-one -on -one with him and not mm -hmm. afraid to make a fool out of himself. Like there's this big thing about during the Olympics where he was riding a zip line um, Boris Johnson was running a zip line down and he got his zip line got stuck and he was up there for like 45 minutes. Oh my God. Like this with his harness over his crud. And he was just with these British flags and it's hilarious. And that's what people think about when they think of him. And I'm like, you don't realize like he, he is not afraid for you to underestimate him because he understands that there's power behind that. Yeah, he wants you to underestimate him. You, he wants Absolutely. you to see yeah. him as like a, a like sort of what's the word like harmless yeah kind of lovable fool kind of thing yeah, yeah lovable harmless fool kind of person I, you know funny enough that you mentioned that episode at the olympics because uh recently there was an advertisement for climate change that had boris johnson hanging over the the olympic park <laughs> with the flags and yeah here in denmark was, oh nice <laughs> yeah. it was really oh. funny I guess that's another, you know, times have changed so much because that was what eight years ago, and it, you can't imagine. Yeah, twenty twelve. Can't, can't imagine him being mayor of London now. Like that's just that, that's inconceivable. No. Well, he was Labour when yeah. he was, wasn't he Labour when he was mayor of London? No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I'd be surprised if he was, because usually they don't hot party like that. Yeah, but, it's, um, it's a it's a not it's a non whip yeah. position, so he didn't have to declare. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can remember him being very popular as mayor of London. But he he was really good at the photo op. So he did things like he rode his bike everywhere. And that was a big thing for all the, the greenies. And, you know, oh, look, he's not using cars. He's not, you know, um, he, he brought the, the Olympics to London. He was a big part mm -hmm. of that. And he was very good at doing just enough to get in the papers, but not really making any big changes. Mm -hmm. You know, right. so he kind of like rode, rode the wave and and made himself the lovable buffoon and but didn't really do much other than i mean i'd say didn't do much the, the olympics was a big a huge thing over here mm -hmm. and i think more so than it is when it when the olympics happens in the states because 
you know, like, I mean, I was in Utah when we had the Olympics there and it was big for Utah, but I don't think the rest of the country cared that the Olympics were happening in Utah. But in England, it was a huge thing. It was all over the country and it was, you know, events were happening everywhere and everybody was talking about it. That, you know, kids were, were doing units on it in schools and, and you have like Olympics Day where parents could come in. I mean, it was a huge, huge thing. Street parties. Y'all got that. Because um, uh, it was fer- also the same year. The Ferris wheel for it, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The London Eye was for the Millennium. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it was the same year as the Jubilee, which was probably the big thing. So we had the Queen's Jubilee and we had mm-hmm. um, the Olympics at the same time. It was a huge, very proud British moment. <laughs> Perhaps the last. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then... <Yeah. laughs> so when was the last time you uh, were in the States? I actually went back this past summer for three weeks because my mom had surgery. Mm. Um, it w- it, we were actually we were going to go back in June, the whole family, because it was my grandfather's hundredth birthday. Um, oh, wow. And then, yeah, and so we had to cancel that trip. Um, but then my mom had to have a knee replacement, and because I work from home and I was working remotely anyway with my clients, I kind of worked in one country and then lived in another for three weeks to help get her through surgery. But I, I hadn't been back for about five years, and it and I found it very changed, and it was very uncomfortable for me to be there. What yeah. uh, what yeah, what yeah. sort of things had changed? You know, it's it felt like there was a palpable tension in the air. It was it was right after George Floyd that I would say. I mean, within like three weeks of George Floyd, um, and so there were protests that were happening every and it, protests happening in Salt Lake City where my mom was. It just doesn't. It's not a thing. You know, and so, um, you know, people are start people in Salt Lake were starting to wake up to the the kind of person of color experience in Salt Lake. And there was, first of all, the people who were very supportive of them, but then also the people that had the knee jerk of, uh uh-uh, what are you talking about? You're blowing this out of proportion. He was a criminal, you know. And at the same time, there was the big anti-mask movement that was starting because you know, everybody's lockdowns had just opened up. And so all these people saying, you know, you don't need a mask and it's going to kill your children. And like, you know, it was just, everybody was so angry. Yeah. Just very, very angry. And, and even things like watching television. And I think things that I'd forgotten about and things I didn't notice when I lived in America, but watching television and like every other ad is either for prescription drugs or for politics. And it's like that all the time. And, and I'm, and it was just like, Oh yeah, I forgot about this. Like, Everyone's I, really mad. I'm thrown off by prescription drug ads every time I go back to the states. I just it, it's so strange <laughs> to me. Same. Yeah. Same. I can remember the last time I was well, one of the few times I was back was in 2015 for Christmas. So you can imagine, and I just was yeah. shocked. Yeah, I was just shocked yeah. by. You know, I, either a prescription drug ad was on or a um, presidential debate. Yeah. <laughs> so, do, do I remember correctly yeah. that they, they didn't used to be able to advertise when you were kids, right? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it was like it was. I mean, certainly the super PAC thing has evolved oh, yeah. in our lifetime. So, you know, half of the, the advertisements weren't even weren't oh. even ours or weren't even theirs, you know, but, yeah. but I do remember like Dukakis and the, is it Willie Loman? I'm, well, I'm going to ruin his name, but you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. So that happened. I meant the drugs, the, uh, like, we, I, there, oh, the there weren't, uh, you know, there was no AstraZeneca can help you with your re- restless legs. No, we that's kids, a new yeah. thing. 
or maybe it's just I only watch kids TV, but that's certainly uh-huh. something that I feel like has evolved in the, since 2000. Yeah. Or maybe we're yeah. just getting older and we're now the target of those ads. The, uh, yeah. The... yeah. I noticed that the other day I was watching some TV and I was like, I'm starting to get targeted for ads that just, I, that I feel a little bit too immature for these ads. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the American Legion wants to sell me a jitterbug phone. And I'm just, it, I, I nearly wow. broke down when they, when they sent me that. Oh, <laughs> oh well then. You're, you're always fixing to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, my big theory is, is, is as long as I stay very immature, then it doesn't matter how old I get. <laughs> exactly. Right. So would you ever move back to the U.S.? I mean, no, no, unless my kids, I mean, my kids have the right to live in, in both countries. They're very lucky that way. So if they go to school there instead of going to school here and they fall in love with living there and everybody was, then, I've, you know, after retirement, I would move there to be near my family. But first of all, I don't see that happening. But no, I've, I feel like I found a place where I belong um, mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. So I've always lived in very, very conservative states and I've always been an ally to um to different groups, you know, whether it's it's to you know the to people of color, neurodivergent people, to gender, sex, and relationship diversity. I've always been very a, a very active ally, and here I don't feel like I have to work so hard at that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's more about the nuances and the subtleties and the microaggressions. It's not the overt, you know, you're going to get your ass kicked for being queer kind of a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And and where one of my daughters is queer, and and I feel like you know, it's safer for her here, both as a woman and as, as a queer person. So it's just, yeah. And, and on top of that, we found a place where I can, you know, I don't feel the need to censor myself. Um, you know, if people ask my opinion, I'll give it to them and they're okay with that. They understand if you ask a question, you get the answer. And sometimes you just don't ask when those questions and that's okay. <laughs> and we've got a good, we've got, we have what we call our Biggles Wade family, a good group of people that are, you know, we're all raising each other's kids and very supportive. Mm-hmm. They're godparents to my, to my youngest. And, and, but I just feel, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was giving a seminar at a, um, at Bloom, I think it was at Bloomberg but at a, at a corporate down in London. And I was talking to the guy who was in charge of it. And he's like, how do you find it being American living in Britain? I was like, oh, you know, I just feel like I fit better politically here. And he goes, yeah, I've noticed in London, a lot of the, the Americans here are almost like political refugees from America. They just can't cope with it anymore. And so they come over here mm-hmm. to be accepted and to be, to be able to be themselves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think I'll move back. <laughs> Do you, do you ever feel pressure from family or friends to move back? Yeah, I mean, my my sister is works in tech, and she's kind of high up for a tech firm. And she's like, you know, I could give you a job. You'd be making so much money. And we would make a lot more money over there than we do here. Um, and so she's always kind of enticing me. And every time I talk to my mom, she's like, you know, Salt Lake City has 2% unemployment rate. It's the best. There's jobs everywhere. I'm like, that's great, mom. You know, and, um, so she's always trying to sell me on the new Silicon Valley that Salt Lake is turning into. And I'm, and I'm like, but they understand too, that I am who I am and, and I'll, and I'm not coming home. <laughs> I mean, I, I say coming at the Biggles Wade's home, but it's America doesn't feel like home anymore. Um, it's, it Biggles Wade's where I feel safe. It's where, mm-hmm. where I feel like I belong and I go visit my family in America. And I mm-hmm. think my kids kind of feel the same way. I don't think they, 
my oldest certainly doesn't. He's 16 now. And it, so we're starting to have talks about, like, do you want to keep your American citizenship? Because mm-hmm. if you're about to turn 18, you need to register for the draft. You can register to vote, but you'll also have to pay taxes if you're American. And so, you know, there's kind of big conversations that we're having. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to go live there. <laughs> I'm like, well, for now, before you start making a lot of money, let's let's hold on to both. But just so you know, you will have to register to, for the draft. and But you'll have the right to vote. And having a right for your say is to have your say is great. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think my my any of my kids they kind of look at America as where their grandmother lives. They don't really they uh, they'll get defensive about Americanisms if their teacher makes an off the cuff comment about mm-hmm. like oh well you know that's America for you. <laughs> but um but uh they they definitely don't they they identify as Americans because it makes them different. But I don't think they actually identify as Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're talking, as we said, the day after Election Day, uh, and let's yeah. ask, did you vote? <laughs> of course. I have voted in every election that I can possibly vote in, and the fact that I can't vote in England makes it even more important to me to vote mm-hmm. in America. Absolutely. So I, uh, I even vote in local elections in, in West Virginia, which I'm sure a lot of people don't appreciate. <laughs> I, don't I vote in every election. So, Yeah. Was it easy? Was it You're difficult? So it, got counted. it West Virginia doesn't make it easy. Um, you have to apply every year, and you got to make. And COVID made it a little bit, you know, more iffy. So, but I did get my ballot in time. So it's it's not as convenient as going down to the polls, but it's it's not hard. It's mm. just kind of extra emails and extra forms. Yeah. So, how did you spend election night? <laughs> curled up in a ball under yeah. a duvet <laughs> like and, well it started off okay <laughs> yeah i mean we watched a bit and and um i i i i got huge election anxiety actually a few mm-hmm. days ago and i ended up coming off of all my social media i'm like i'm out i can't do this anymore it was the weirdest post that triggered me but it was like someone posted about we need to investigate biden's family or something like that and it's just stupid it's not it's and, and for start, it's, that was just the straw. And I was like, are you kidding me? And they're like, why do you got to bring Trump into it? I'm just talking about Biden's family. And I'm like, because we're in an election process and we naturally compare people in election. That's kind of the whole point. Like, what would you have posted this if he wasn't running for election? No. It, and, but it was just funny. And it came from somebody. The thing that made it difficult is it came from a friend of mine who I really respect and I really love. Mm-hmm. And I consider to be an intelligent person. And and it really, I don't know, something about it just, I was like, that's it, I'm done. And I just came away. Um, and so I've been kind of, I've, I've been reading the news, I've been watching BBC, and I've been watching ITV. But um, the the first stories that came up that were like, uh, you know, is voter fraud happening? Is this, and I'm just like, okay. It, it just felt, <laughs> it, yeah. I was getting texts from family going, I think Trump's going to win. Oh, he might not win. Oh, it looks like this is going to happen. And so I kind of was was paying attention to this. But about 11 o'clock, I just, like I said, took a big old swill of children's <laughs> Benadryl and went to bed. I just, <laughs> I'll find out in the morning. And, and then I then didn't, didn't find out yeah. in the morning. <laughs> and it still might be a while before we find out. What, yeah. guess- so what was y'all's experience of watching the election news and everything, staying up all night? Um, well, I, uh, 
did a show of an online theater production, totally new oh. experience. Yeah, about watching the election with a bunch of friends on Zoom. And that's how I spent, <laughs> that's that's how I spent the, first, the first part of the evening. And then the second part of the evening I spent um, online with a bunch of politicos, American politicos around the world, biting our fingernails. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's how I spent it. Weldon, what about you? So I uh, spent the early part of the evening watching the first half of that show until uh, it froze and stopped working for me. And then I uh, went to the watch party or did the online watch party for about 10 minutes and decided I would rather just get some sleep. So I slept until about mm. 3 a.m. and woke up to basically the situation we still have now where the four states that matter are going to take, you know, a week to finish their count. So, yeah, no. And then also the president saying, we don't need to count those votes. So there you go. Yeah. That happened. That happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a mess. Such a mess. Yeah. I just feel the need to apologize everywhere I go because everybody wants me to explain what is happening in your country. I'm like, I don't know. Like, nobody knows. It's, it's, it's weird. That's what also kind of we're trying to figure out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we will, but, yeah. you know, um, just what is happening. I, yeah, it's yeah. complicated and very, very strange, especially for us living abroad. Yeah, and I mean, when I first moved, it was all about explaining gun culture to people. That was that was yeah. the big thing, like, why do Americans have guns? How do you feel about guns? And I'm like, well, I've never owned a gun, but I also understand it's people's rights to own a gun. So I, you know, I'm not anti-gun, but I'm also not pro, you know, like pro in my weapons. house. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and and you know, for me, I said you, you know, being raised in America with gun culture, like you, one of the things I had to do is teach my children not to touch guns because we don't have guns, mm -hmm. and that, but they would go, you know, living where we live, people have guns, and and so we had rules that they had no toy guns that looked like real guns because I didn't want them to ever mm -hmm. have to worry about you know, picking up the wrong thing. Because um, I'd like same. to believe that people, yeah, I'd like to believe that people are responsible gun owners and keep them locked away, but you never know. Um, right. But it, but that being said, I respect an American's right to own a gun. And so it's kind of one of those, um, I'm like, it's not just have a gun or don't have a gun. And people don't understand that here. They really don't get it. Mm. Um, and I don't know how to explain it. So it's kind of, I'm, I do the best I can. <laughs> But, right. But now it's all about how is Trump happening and are people really being shot by police? And people think that this is a new thing. And I'm like, no, we just have cameras now, y'all. Like, this isn't new. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, some yeah. of the, some of the, the difference in that is astonishing to me that, like, the French police altogether killed, I think, 26 people last year. And, mm. and, they they get marches in response and people say oh it's it's just like the u.s like oh no no it's it's nothing <laughs> no baby <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean i have a friend that's a police officer here and i've talked to her about it because and i was like would you ever because she doesn't carry a gun and i said would you ever do you feel unsafe because you don't have a gun because she she works um at the time in in kind of central London and I said do you ever feel like you need to get she said I don't want a gun are you kidding me I would hate to have a gun why would you want a gun as a police officer I'm there to keep the peace and just the mentality behind it 
Yeah. She's like, never once in my entire career, she's been a cop for 20 years, she's like, never once have I ever felt that I wish I had a gun. Huh. Wow. So, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this is a difference in the way they're trained and their mm. mindset. I'm here to protect the public, not to sort of defend and against at the will it. of the public yeah right at the will of the public yeah right so yeah and not to say there's not institutional racism within the british police office uh, you know mm -hmm. police system as well but nothing like it is i mean i remember in mississippi you know i got pulled over by our sheriff for speeding and all i had to do was cry as a white girl and he goes yeah. well I'll tell you and he knew my dad and i'm like he goes well i'll tell you what gwen I'll race you to that stop sign, and if you win, I won't give you a ticket. And I floored it while he was walking back to his car, and he just laughed and let me go. And you mean to tell me that would have been my experience if I were a black man in Mississippi? Absolutely not. Right. You know, so it's just, you know, we can all laugh about that, but I'm like, that is just 100%, you know, white girl peers and white privilege right there that, yeah. that shows you it was a different experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it was in Starkville, Weldon, but Sheriff you Dolph know how Bryant. the police were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know their name. You know your sheriff's name, Paul yeah. Barrett. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure. yeah. yeah, Sheriff Dolph voted for him every. That's another weird thing is voting for sheriffs. I think, but that, yeah. that may be another show. <laughs> <laughs> got elected, and he had felony charges, and he still got elected. <laughs> that is so Mississippi. I <laughs> love it. You <laughs> probably can't include his name on the show, but <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom. What's funny is my mom every year voted for other because nobody ever ran against our sheriff, and so every year she just voted for other because she refused to vote for him. So we have a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and this is a first run of those questions. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Okay. Okay, so what is your favorite British word? Bollocks, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love the word bollocks. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. It just rolls off the tongue, and it's used in place of dropping the F-bomb, which I am often want to do, but uh, bollocks is up there. <laughs> okay, what is a song that has been playing in your head lately? It was funny. You should say that, but it's this morning. It's been creep by Radiohead. Nice. <laughs> I see, that's been like the theme. It's been going on a loop in my head. So everybody's got one. Um, yeah. What What is a smell you love? A smell that reminds you of home. Uh, this is gonna make me sound like a creep, actually, but um, it's. I love the smell of a newborn baby's head. It's like oh. crack to me. <laughs> When I hold babies, I'm like, oh, I want to smell your head. <laughs> Give me a sniff, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. What is one thing that everyone should see in your part of London? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, just going to my theater, I feel like everybody should see a West End show. I think it's an experience you have to have. But either that or going into Soho and seeing a drag show. One of the one of the two. Ooh, yeah. That's a good yeah, one. Out, yeah. Best Both drag of those show. are very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what brings you joy? Ooh, what does bring me joy? I think uh, getting together with friends and family and cooking for them. I love 
making food, giving food, watching them enjoy my food. Like I have Thanksgiving with my friends here sometimes. And, mm. and yeah, that's, that, that's the most friends, like my close family, um, their kids, my kids. I love it. What gives you hope? Ooh, not a lot right now. I'm not gonna lie. That's a tough question today. I have to say, yeah. um, yeah. but but honestly, and this is gonna sound so cheesy, but it's true. I think what gives me hope is seeing my kids' generation care so much more about issues that are happening mm-hmm. in the world than my generation did. I think mm-hmm. in the '90s, it was very cool to not give a shit about anything. Um, but my my kids are activists. Their friends are activists. Everybody has a passion. You care about the environment. You care about the world. You care about equality. And that inspires me. And that gives me hope for the future. When do you feel the most American? (laughs) When I say a British thing wrong, (laughs) and they all laugh at me. (laughs) So they have the phrase over here, taking the piss, which means taking, like making a joke of somebody. Mm-hmm. And there was one time I said, oh, oh, I'm just taking a piss. And they're like, you're doing what? <laughs> I was like, wait, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> so when I say British things wrong, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's my American. Or when I get on my political soapbox, I feel very American, too. <laughs> Where is home? Home is Bigglesweight for sure. We've made our home. So this is this is my home. Um, and what is something you would like Americans back home to know? I'd like them to know what the rest of the world is watching and seeing when they behave the way that they do. I think because America is so big and it's kind of an amalgamation of 50 little countries, mm-hmm. I don't think they often pay attention to how America looks from, an out, from the outside. So I'd like that. I'd love everybody in America just to spend a couple of weeks out of America <laughs> watching and and understanding what kind of soup they're swimming in well glendalyn thank you so much for sharing with us today um and well thank you for having me and thank you for letting me hear american voices on election day that was, <laughs> everybody i know is asleep right now and i needed that so yeah. <laughs> you're you're very welcome <laughs>